You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This is Father Scholl, and I want to continue with our political philosophy discussion of the Republic of Plato, and we'll do book four. Now, the fourth book begins with one of those scenes uh, in which a potential philosopher, this time Edimantos, who had been following and participating in the earlier conversations, suddenly interrupts Socrates, who has been describing the life of the military and intellectual guardians, um, how they were given a minimum of property, aid in common messes, but by no means a luxurious life, uh, which is characteristic of other officers and rulers. Socrates' idea, of course, is to keep uh, temptations of wealth and greed and office or envy at a minimum. On this pretends the whole theory of property in the Republic, as well as in Aristotle's uh, politics. Medimenta, as you will recall, in Book 2, was uh, the one who explained to Socrates uh, that the poets never praise justice for its own sake. People are, are just only because they will be punished if they are not, or uh, uh, to bribe them by rewards. Remember, at this point, the question of rewards and punishments is suppressed. The burden on Socrates is to see if there is a reason to be just, even if we have to suffer for it or to get no reward for it. The myth of Gyges and the parallel account of what people think would happen to the good man in any particular existing city were designed to show that the common view is that no one would be just unless he was forced to be just or enticed to be just. Edimantas tells Socrates that this position is all very well, but the trouble is that in it no one would be happy. You are not making those men very happy, and it's uh, their own fault. The city really belongs to them, and yet they derive no good from it. Others own the lands, buildings, and build fine big houses, acquire uh, furnishings to go along with them, and make their own private uh, sacrifices to the gods, entertain guests, and also, of course, uh, possess what you are talking about just now, namely gold and silver, and all the things that are thought to belong to people who are blessedly happy. But one might well say that your guardians are simply uh, settled in the city like uh, mercenaries, and that all they do (coughs) is watch over it. I was in 419.8. Notice that Socrates' rulers are to get nothing for their services in the normal sense of people's expectations. 
But Socrates deals with this objection by pointing out that he is not concerned with uh, a, a personal happiness. Quote, in establishing our city in speech, we are not aiming to make any one group uh, outstandingly happy, but to make the whole city so as far as possible. We take ourselves then to be fashioning the happy city, not picking out a few happy people and putting them in it, but making the whole city happy. The end of the quote at 4020C. This famous position has some problems connected with it, which Aristotle will point out. But here suffice it to say that Socrates is following out his theory of specialization. The guardians are those who are specialized in the whole. Uh, we seek uh, to train them to look for the good of the whole and not their own good. The common good, in other words, is what is looked for. The political or military guardian is not a in it uh, for money or power, but service uh, to the common good. This means turning uh, their inner souls around to appreciate the right things. You must not force us to give our guardians the kind of happiness that would uh, make them something other than guardians. They strive to uh, uh, compel the guardians uh, to see uh, to the development of the whole city. That is, Socrates wanted the good of all of the parts to be seen as good within the whole, but still their own good. Then, in a familiar passage, Socrates warns that most actual cities are at war within themselves. That is what he is trying to avoid. <clears throat> Two things corrupt cities, wealth and poverty. That's 421b. If craftsmen become rich, they will neglect their art. Both wealth and poverty uh, will, be neglect will be acquired. And these, uh, the former, uh, makes for uh, luxury, wealth, and idleness, and revolution. And the latter, poverty makes for slavishness, bad work, and uh, revolution as well, 422a. In part, this will be the basis of the theory of revolution in Aristotle's uh, Book 5 of the Politics, and will appear in other forms in Books 8 and 9 of the Republic. Socrates thinks that his troops are stronger because of internal discipline than those of effete wealthy cities. Socrates says, you are happily innocent if you think that anything other than the kind of city we are founding in speech deserves to be called a city. What do you mean? We will have to find a greater title for the others because each of them is a uh, 
a great many cities, not a single city, as they say in the game. At any rate, each of them uh, consists of two cities. Each city consists of two cities at war with each other. Uh, that of the poor and that of the rich. And each one of these contains a great many, uh, a great variety. That's 422E. Then at the times you read in the papers that this or uh, some other country is uh, divided between rich and poor, uh, that one uh, that one exploits the other, and that this is the cause of all problems, the, the maldistribution of property. So you'll see that theory again and again. Recall the consequences of the fall in Genesis. That is to say, the, these are consequences, not causes. This is almost invariably an ideological position that is one imposed on reality by a prior idea concocted by some mind. In modern times, and, uh, and its outline is already there in Plato. Limits of the size of the city are discussed. Rules or laws are, should not be made, uh, should not be many. One basic thing, quote, their education and upbringing, uh, for if I were being educated, they become uh, reasonable men, they will easily see these things for themselves, as well as all of the other things uh, we are omitting. For example, the marriage uh, laws, the having wives, and the procreation of, of children must be governed as far as possible by the old proverb, friends possess everything in common, as 423e. And this passage, if you think about it, will come up again very significantly in a different way in Book 5. It is buried here in Book 4 almost as a side issue, so the issue of how you deal with marriage and children. Cities will grow uh, once the education starts. Guardians have to see that nothing is corrupted. Above all, they must guard as carefully as they can against other innovations uh, in music and poetry or in physical training uh, that is uh, counter to the established order of the city, as 424b. In 424c, says, quote, change music and games rules, and you change society. Remember, we are starting with the best regime in speech here. As Damon says, and I am convinced, uh, the musical modes are never changing without changing the most important parts of city laws. 424c. Music is not indifferent. It moves the soul. In fact, as Bloom says, it is the greatest educator. Lawlessness creeps into, this, into the city via music and poetry, in Plato's theory, 
uh, 4D. Effects of inner lawlessness are discussed in the same passage. <clears throat> Questions of manners are brought up in 425B. Plato uh, does not think we need many laws. Prudence uh, not laws is what we need. Quote, Otherwise, if not virtuous, uh, they'll spend their lives enacting a lot of other laws and then amending them, believing that in this way they will attain the best. You mean they will live like those sick people who, uh, though licentious, are not willing to abandon uh, their harmful ways of life. The end of the quote, 425e. So that unless you're willing to do what is necessary to change your life, your life will not be changed. Badly governed cities uh, do not want to change. Uh, with regard to the constitutional structure, Socrates uh, thinks that it does not do much good among unvirtuous and rather unnecessary among the virtuous to have these things. He next looks at legislation. The first is about religion, temples, sacrifices at 427b. Now is the time to look at justice and injustice and their difference and their differences. Indeed, if we correctly founded the city, it is completely good. Wise, courageous, moderate, and just have the uh, are the practical uh, have the practical virtues. Are the practical virtues? In four twenty nine, a he says, quote, "Then a whole city established according to nature, a city according to nature, would be wise because of the smallest class and part of it." namely the guardian, governing or ruling one. And to this class, which seems to be uh, very, uh, seems to be by nature the smallest, uh, belongs a share of the knowledge that alone, among all the other kinds of knowledge, is to be called wisdom. Socrates spells out of what he has, uh, has in mind. Or he says, quote, before 30 B. But we're contriving with nothing other than this. That because they have the proper nature and upbringing, they would absorb the laws in uh, the finest possible way, just like dye, so that their belief about what <clears throat> they should um, fear and all the rest would become uh, so fast that even uh, such ext uh, extremely effective uh, detergents as pleasure and pain, fear and desire would not wash it out. And pleasure is much more potent than any power, washing soda or soap. The power to preserve through everything the correct and law <clears throat> inculcating belief about what is to be feared and what is not, is what I call courage, unless, of course, you have some other way, the end of the quote. This is why Glaucon is called <coughs> a courageous young man. 
It is more to be courageous, uh, courageous about the truth than about battle. The next virtue he discusses is moderation or temperance, 431a. Desire is part of the whole order. Quote, temperance is a virtue of everyone because unlike courage and wisdom, each of which resides in one part of the soul, making the city brave and wise respectively, moderation or temperance spreads throughout the whole. Let us say it's something belonging to every citizen. It makes the weakest, the strongest, and those in between, uh, whether in uh, regard to reason, physical strength, numbers, wealth, or anything else, all sing the same song together at the end of the quote, 47, 3432a. What is left is justice, which is the topic of the Republic. So the moral virtues, prudence, uh, temperance, courage, justice. Where is that for 2032b? So we know that courage is located in the military guardians, uh, prudence in the intellectual guardians, and temperance is with everybody. Well, what about justice? Where is that? We approach the fifth definition of justice, or the fourth definition of justice, um, to render each to what is due, the interest of the stronger, to do good to your friends and evil to your enemies, and um, it's a midway, it's a compact between two things. Well, here's the fifth definition. Uh, justice, I think, is exactly what we said uh, must be established throughout the city uh, when we were uh, uh, founding it. Either that or some form of it. <clears throat> Quote, we, we stated and often repeated, if you remember, that everything must practice uh, one of the occupations in the city for which he is naturally best suited. This uh, doing one's own work, uh, provided that it comes um, to be in a certain way, is justice, 433b. It seems, then, that the power that consists in everyone's doing his own work uh, rivals wisdom, moderation, and courage in its contribution to the virtues of the city. Everyone uh, should do his own job, for 34a. Socrates finds the three parts of the soul, a desire, spiritedness, and reason. Glaucon does not see it uh, as easily. And then comes again a very enigmatic passage parallel to the uh, beginning question uh, earlier, quote, we will never get a precise answer using our present methods of argument, although there is another longer and fuller road uh, that does lead to such a, an answer. But perhaps we can get on and answer that after that standard uh, of our previous statements and uh, inquiries. So perhaps we can get an answer to that one too. 
That's 435b. This is a famous longer wave passage that explains the reason the book does not end at the end of book four as it seems as though it should. We know what justice is. Justice is each one doing that which is qualified. Evidently, other things remain to be discussed in another way. Would you not say, on Sanskrit, of course, would you not say that the soul of someone who has been, who has an appetite for a thing, wants what he has an appetite for and takes to himself what it is, uh, his uh, will to have? And that as far as he wishes something to be given to him, his soul, since it is desirous of uh, this to come about, nods assent to it as if it, uh, as if it answer uh, to a question, 431, 437b. It begins to discuss appetites, hunger, thirst, appetite, uh, for a proper object. Knowledge itself is knowledge of what can be learned itself, or whatever it is that knowledge is about. While a particular sort of knowledge is a particular sort of a thing, a certain sort of a knowledge about a particular sort of a thing. That is, knowledge refers to the power to know what is. But knowing a particular thing is knowing that it is. Knowledge of health or disease is not healthy or diseased, and knowledge of good and bad doesn't itself make one good or bad. 438c. The knowledge of a bad thing is, in fact, a good thing. We will call the part of the soul with which it calculates the uh, rational part and the part which it lusts, hungers, thirsts, and gets excited by other appetites, the rational appetite uh, part, a companion of a certain indulgence and uh, pleasure. Uh, there is reason uh, which looks to theoretical things and there is a second reason, practical, a prudential, that deals with our desires of what we will, but in the form of ruling of our fears, pleasures, and just action. But do we not often notice in other ca uh, cases that when appetite forces someone contrary to rational calculation, uh, he refuses approaches himself and gets angry uh, with that in him that's doing the uh, forcing. Uh, so the two factions, uh, two factions are fighting a civil war, uh, so to speak. A uh, spirit uh, allies itself with reason for 40b. The appetite and the desire can be ruled. Well then, we have now made our uh, difficult way uh, through a sea of arguments, Socrates says. We are pretty much agreed that the 
the same number and the same kinds of classes are in the city uh, and are also in the soul of each individual. 441c. The soul writ small, that is, we find the virtues we saw in the city writ large in the uh, classes in our own soul are to be ruled by our own reason as the guide. Quote 441e. All parts of the soul and education come together. And is it not, as we were saying, a, a mixture of music and poetry on the one hand and physical uh, training on the other uh, that makes the two parts harmonious and stretching and nurturing the rational part with fine words and learning, relaxing uh, the other parts through uh, soothing stories and making it gentle by means of harmony and rhythm. Here is a quote, 441e. Socrates obviously wants all parts of the soul to be in harmony. He then applies each virtue to the soul. That's 442b and following. And is not the cause of this uh, harmony uh, that every part within a, a soul does its own work, whether it's ruling or being ruled. Quote, then the dream we have had have been completely, have been thinking about, have been completely fulfilled. Our suspicion that with the help of some god, uh, we had hit upon the origin and pattern of justice uh, right at the beginning is in, in founding our city. Uh, we, we, that's what we want to find. In quote 443e, justice is not concerned with someone's doing his own deeds externally, but with what is inside him, with what is truly himself and his own. One who is just uh, does not allow any part of himself to do the work of another part, or allow a various, or allow the various classes within him uh, to meddle with each other. He regulates well what is really his own and rules himself. He puts himself in order uh, as his own friend and harmonizes uh, the three parts of himself. And when he does anything, whether acquiring wealth, taking care of his body, engages in politics, or in private contracts, in all of this, he believes that the action is just and fine that preserves this inner harmony and helps achieve it and calls it so and regards and regards as wisdom the knowledge that oversees such action. That's 443e. And 444b says, Well, then, if we claim to have found the just man, the just city, and what the and what justice is uh, that is in them, I do not suppose that will seem 
and it will seem to be telling a complete falsehood. Therefore, this resolved the inner city war issue of one part warning against the other. And then Socrates returns to Thrasymachus' question. So now it remains to, it seems, uh, to inquire whether it is more profitable uh, to act justly and live in a fine way and is be just, and whether one is known to be so or not, or to act unjustly and to be unjust, uh, provided that one does not uh, pay any uh, penalty and become better as a result of punishment. Is it better to be just or seem to be just? Someone, Galkan, in an eloquent statement says that surely we do not need to discuss the question about whether it is better to be just or unjust. <clears throat> Life would not be worth living if we could not be just, 445b. This evidently completes the discussion of justice. And Socrates says that we can now begin to talk about the deviations from justice and their reflection in the polity. That is, disordered souls uh, project their disorder onto the institutions of the polity. Uh, this being brings up the decline of states, and Socrates begins to discuss uh, kingship and aristocracy. Education follows, uh, follows the form of the city. And this chapter then ends in a kind of in a kind of midair. We have seen something of a longer route, and the that Socrates has not discussed marriage and beginning, and he says that there are some things that require a different discourse. Why is this book itself not complete? Uh, as the Why is the Republic? not complete with book four. So the drama of what we begin and take up then in book five answers this question that even though we now have the definition of justice, uh, how to live it and what it means and its implications, uh, we still have to uh, pursue in the later books. And so this ends uh, book four. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.